On this edition of Magic Pod Squad, we catch up with Orlando Magic assistant coach Pat Delaney. Now a reminder, this podcast was recorded one week before the coronavirus postponed the NBA season. So again, we sat down with Magic assistant coach Pat Delaney one week prior uh, to the NBA postponing the season. It was while we were in Memphis about to play the Grizzlies, but still a terrific insight into head coach Steve Clifford, his work ethic, his team, what it takes to put on an NBA game, all the behind-the-scenes preparation. Uh, We'll get some insight from Pat working one-on-one with Jonathan Isaac, with Aaron Gordon. Those are two of his guys that he works out. Uh, And also his NBA journey, which started... Uh, ironically, as an intern in Boston, then all the way down in Miami, where he spent 11 years as a part of the Heat organization. And then one year, he was head coach of a G League team in Sioux Falls. So we'll do all of that with Magic assistant coach Pat Delaney. This is Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic. This is Evan Fournier. This is Jonathan Isaac. This is Mo Bamba. Check out what's new with the Orlando Magic Pod Squad. The host of characters give you a behind-the-scenes look at Magic basketball. The Magic Pod Squad has you covered. Subscribe and rate on iTunes and the Google Play Store today. Well, I'm excited to catch up with this next guest. This is Magic assistant coach Pat Delaney, kind enough to give us some time. And, Pat, I think the thing we're all wondering, (laughs) the elephant in the room is, When's the last time you've been interviewed by someone sitting on a bed? Yeah, <laughs> hold on, let alone that, two people sitting on a bed. <laughs> is that a fair question? I'm going to skip that question <laughs> to start, if that, that's man. okay. But no, I appreciate you guys having me on. I'm glad to be here. And uh, I've heard a lot of good things about you guys' show. Look so forward to being part of it. Well, hopefully we don't let you down. If, if Gun to your head, if you had to find where this podcast is, would you be able to? Oh, for sure. And listen yeah, to yeah. this is Apple iTunes number one. Yeah, good. Apple there you iTunes go. number, number one. one. Number, number one. one. We're, we're climbing right. up the ranks. That's <laughs> well, listen, we'll dig in a little background first. I, I think, uh, you know, obviously all of you, the assistant coaches, have a lot of history with Steve Clifford, but I think I'd say uh, you probably have the most history, right? Going back to your time at St. Anselm. Just just tell us, you know, playing basketball, four year career playing basketball, and, and how fun that was, and, and your early impressions of, of Steve Clifford. Well, I don't want to bore anybody with that story. I know nobody really wants to hear that. <laughs> But, well, tell us the good in, stuff. In, uh, in a quick sentence here, too, uh, I played at Sandson College where Coach Clifford was an assistant for uh, Keith Dixon, uh, who I played for. Um, and uh, it was actually, I didn't get a chance to play for Coach Cliff, but played against his teams when he was at Adelphi. Uh, and that's kind of how our relationship has started. I heard a lot about him and then playing against his when he was coaching at Adelphi, as I said. Uh, and our relationship kind of grew from there. I know when he was an assistant here in Orlando, uh, I was in the, you know, the nemesis place of Miami at the time. And uh, <laughs> exactly right. So I, I spent a lot of time whenever I would see you guys play, just uh, interacting with Coach Cliff, make sure I said hello. And uh, obviously a, a great, great coach and an even better person um, sort of thing. Spent four years with him in Charlotte mm-hmm. and then obviously been here with our second year here in Orlando. So uh, one thing about Coach Cliff is uh, salt of the earth, ultimate communicator, and uh, you know where you stand. And uh, I work a lot better that way. And again, uh, fortunately, he gave me an opportunity. You, you kind of glossed over your college career, Pat, mm-hmm, but I, right. I've, I've done a little digging. You're a pretty good point guard. Coach Dixon says you were probably the best passer that he ever coached. Coach Dixon's been there about, what, 35, 40 years and has over 600 wins. So you, you had a pretty yeah. good career. Yeah, I was fortunate. I played with a lot of good shooters. So my strength as a player uh, was the passing piece. And that, that was the easy part. Those were the guys that made a lot of shots. And Coach Clifford uh, took a chance on me. Uh, as a coach, and then Coach Dixon also took a chance on me as a player. Uh, not a lot of people know this story, but I was actually going to uh, Gettysburg College, a small Division three school, late you know, June, you know, right after my senior year of high school. And Coach Dixon had asked me to come up and visit. They had somebody back out, and 
I'd actually declined. I said I was good. And uh, I was telling my parents about it that night, and they were like, why would you not? You know, like, what is it hurting? Uh, some kids uh, from the Jersey Shore, where I was from, were already playing up there. Uh, so I went up there and played uh, pickup, and I was totally out of shape, totally got outplayed for two days. And I was like, man, this is, this is why I didn't want to come. And uh, meeting with Coach Dixon after, he was like, you played, I thought you were great. I think you'd fit in great here. And I was like, this guy's out of his mind. I'm like, the, We're this, looking for an out-of-shape point guard. The, the kid who was going to be a senior, uh, a senior at St. Anselm's was uh, Mike Jean. He was defensive player of the year two years in a row in the conference. So he was playing against me, picking me up full court for two days. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, I was, like I said, I, I was really out of shape. I hadn't played much since uh, high school season had ended. And uh, they gave me an opportunity. I went there, and honestly, it was the best fit for me. Offered uh, you a little money? And yeah, yeah, I got a little bit of scholarship deal, <laughs> yeah. and that helped too. And, um, you know, uh, I went there, and Mike had gotten hurt, actually, in the preseason of my freshman year. So I got an opportunity to start as a freshman for the first 20, 25 games. And, um, again, I was really, really fortunate. It was a great fit for me. A lot of people uh, where I came from thought I was a lot better than I was. Uh, I kind of had a good understanding of uh, what type of player I was and where I could succeed. And uh, St. Anselm was the per perfect fit, and it was four good years, and I look back on it now, and it's helped me to get here. Pat, I've always wondered. You mentioned that you were working for that for that other team that whose name shall not be mentioned. <laughs> right, 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 right. Before you joined Steve and Charlotte, but the last year of that, you were actually the head coach in Sioux Falls. Correct. Uh, before it said, so I've always wondered, what's it like to coach in Sioux Falls? Uh, could you take yeah. Coach out of there? What's it like in Sioux Falls? Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even Sioux care Falls. about Coach. Well, what's it like in Sioux Falls? And how do you get there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> me personally, uh, and I, my wife tells me the same thing, uh, that I'm absolutely crazy. And I think when I tell people this, people are like, you're still crazy. There's no way you're just, you know, giving the company line sort of. But it was uh, honestly one of the, I've been in the league for 18 years. It was one of the best years, most fun years I had, uh, you know, and all the things. And getting to be a head coach, enjoying that experience. The one downfall, honestly, for me was my family didn't get to come. Uh, my wife was pregnant uh, with our second, so she was back in New Jersey. Uh, so just being apart for them. Uh, but it's funny, we, you know, we were just in Miami. <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, you know, I was talking to Coach Spolstra, and one of our your young assistants there now is now coaching their team and his family. They're separated as well. And uh, I always say this: the one thing that uh, being apart from my family that was hard was you know not seeing my wife and kids and stuff like that. But it also allowed me to totally be into the job, you know, sort of thing. I'm sure all of you feel yeah. the same with the, the job and the demands that we have. You know, it starts to get to that four o'clock, five o'clock hour. You want to try to get home for bedtime or dinner time uh, since we don't get to do it all the time. And just being there and getting the opportunity to be a head coach and not having them there allowed me just to really totally, uh, and, you know, invest and commit to the job. And uh, it was great. Uh, Sioux Falls is super cold, similar to New Hampshire. Uh, but I had a hat, a jacket. There was a lot of snow. Uh, the travel, the travel was crazy. We always had to fly through Denver or Chicago uh, as we traveled to the other G League cities and stuff. And uh, so we dealt with a ton of delays and weather problems and stuff like that. And we probably, you know, spent just as many nights in Chicago on layovers that got canceled. You know, trying to get back or going to another city. Uh, and then there's just the bus rides. We always bus to Iowa which was four-plus hours sort of thing, and the players would have their movies on and stuff like that. So uh, all in all, a great experience and uh, something I feel like uh, you know, definitely helped me become a better coach. JT and I, we've kind of had this theory for the last <laughs> few years. Tell us, tell us what you think of it because we talk about this kind of stuff all the time among a lot of other topics. But uh, one of the things we talk about is Sioux Falls is so remote, so far removed from Miami 
that our theory is is that guys are so motivated when they get sent to Sioux Falls <laughs> that it helps in the development of the players. I mean, it's sort of counterintuitive to, you know, everybody wants to have a G League team 40 miles away right. or in the same town. It's totally opposite with Sioux Falls. It's, yeah. it's such a play. We're just wondering if, if that uh, has worked sort of in Miami's favor. Yeah, I'm not Do sure. you Obviously, like that theory? They've done a great job. The theory, you know, I don't want to sit here and say it doesn't. It's not there. <laughs> it's not true. Uh, but I do think one of the other perks that, uh, you know, and advantages they have is the Heinemann family that owns the team in Sioux Falls. They had owned it our first year. They had owned the team for 25-plus years. And just the uh, they had a brand-new facility in the Pentagon. And then also just the family and people there that were working on the daily basis knew how to run it. And uh, we were really fortunate as an organization in Miami to have a relationship with them. And obviously it's, it's moved forward now with Miami just buying the team. But the Heinemans are still heavily involved. Um, sort of a great relationship, great people. And I think it kind of helped the Miami transition as well. What you're saying is it's a well-run operation. They got great facilities. So for sure, I think probably the premier, probably the premier, which we didn't know, JT. Well, I, I still got a feeling if you know, if like if, if I'm Josh Richardson and, and I've been in Sioux Falls and I get called up to play in South Beach, I'm working my tail off when I get down there. I ain't Sioux going Falls. back. Okay, how good that organization exactly. is. Exactly. Here's my family story on Sioux Falls. So uh, after my first year there, Coach Clifford offered me a job in Charlotte. And uh, Coach Cliff knows this. I was, like, kind of in between. Like, I really enjoyed being a head coach and obviously had a long history in Miami. And, um, you know, I was thinking about just actually staying, you know. And, um, you know, one, I think he knew, he thought I was a little crazy. The other person who thought I was crazy was my wife. So she had said, uh, she said, hey, you can go back to Sioux Falls. She's like, but you have two years there. That's it. She's like, you know, we're not going to be moving there full time and stuff like that. So I kind of made the decision. You know, or, 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 you, or you can have more time there. <laughs> Just don't expect me to come with you. That's all. It's fine. You know, so you it yeah, you can see you live there forever. So, I, you know, the other part that's interesting, I was kind of looking a little bit. I didn't realize that Steve Hetzel was coaching in the G League yes. the same time with Canton Charge, Charge. correct? Yes. What's the head-to-head record between Delaney and Hetzel? Uh, I don't know what the head-to-head is. We you actually, you know, know it. the thing that's crazy about it, <laughs> Hetzel and I talk about it quite a bit, is just our experiences right. together in the G League is we played each other in the playoffs that year. So in the playoffs in the G League, I don't think they do it like this anymore, was you picked who you played. It wasn't seeding. So you had the, the the number one seed. They got the first pick. They could pick anybody. They could pick the two seed. They could pick the you know the eight team the, like the eight team. Like so that. you would have a conference call after the regular season. All the teams, the eight teams, I think it was that made the playoffs would be in, and they would say, I'm not sure who though. I think maybe it was Fort Wayne at the time. Who do you want to play? And they would pick, and then they go two, and so. I think we were the four, they were the four, and we were the five. So we actually didn't, we just got who was left, and we were the two teams that were left. So we ended up playing each other. And it was funny, the one team I didn't want to play was them because I knew how good Steve is a coach and how well-prepared they were going to be. And while if you looked at the playoffs that year, every other series was 135, 125 games. Our series was like 90, 90, you know, 90, 92, you know, sort of thing, just defense, grind it out, you know, sort of thing. But we spent a ton of time, him and I, um, together, I'm sure, like you guys do on the road, talking about previous experience, stories, and stuff like that. And we talk about it all the time, how, how much fun we both had. How did you get to Miami? You, you, you finished school at St. Anselm, and then yeah. I think your first job was a video coordinator with the Heat, right? Yeah, I started as an intern get, in Miami. How, how did you get that job? So uh, kind of a small world. And when I was at St. Anselm College, I did an internship with the Celtics my senior year. Uh, Jim O'Brien was the head coach, Frank Vogel. Obviously, former Magic coach and the current Laker coach was an uh, assistant. And uh, I was close with uh, Bob Hurley Sr., Coach St. Anthony's in New Jersey. And uh, Coach Hurley had helped 
get me in contact with uh, Frank Vogel and John Carroll, who were assistants, and was like, hey, we got the, you know, the guy like to. So basically, I got academic credit. They called me a video intern, and uh, if I'm being honest, they were just like, come whenever you want, stay whenever you want, and um, you know, the late Dick Harder was an assistant there, and it video was a, video was a different world back oh, then. Oh, for sure, like night. I mean, and day. it was literally tape and yeah, right. So uh, Coach Harder used to only want to watch the defense only on the high eight machine, which is like the, you know, at that time I didn't know what it was, but very small, you know, little tape deck thing. So I would literally during the games, my job was just when we were on offense in Boston, I would just hit pause. And then when we were on defense, I, I, well, well done. I, I, I would hit record and in my head I was like, this is the coolest job ever. Like how do I get into the NBA? And uh, those guys in Boston were great. They gave me an, an opportunity and introduced me to the people in Miami and I got an interview for an internship and. I did a year-long internship and sort of, you know, right place, right time, and there was some movement. Travis Schlenk was actually our uh, video coordinator. That's who I worked under, who obviously now is the GM of the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, he had moved on right from there, and there was a video coordinator position open. Coach Spo uh, was an assistant at the time, but kind of oversaw the video. And uh, he gave me an opportunity to stay on there, and I did some video, did advanced scouting. Like we had talked about, I got a chance to coach in the G League. And, um, you know, those 12 years, I, you know, if I could do it, Again, I would do it the exact same way. Uh, I feel like I've learned so much and still continue to grow and learn here with Coach Cliff and our staff. Um, but I, I really got to do a, a bunch of different areas of uh, the game. You know, we hear so much about the heat culture and all that. And obviously, we joke about the angst we have with uh, some of us joke. JT's is very serious. <laughs> very serious. <laughs> he's, JT's not joking. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he actually hates you, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he tried to sit in the furthest chair from me. Was, well, I did. There is a way to bring people from the dark side. It, it does happen. <laughs> it does happen. But you can't deny the record. You can't deny how they find talent. You can't deny that culture. You can't deny the, the way things run there. What, what is it about? The way things are run there. What is it about that heat culture that we hear so much about? Is it is it all Riley? Is it all? How, how does that work? Uh, I think it obviously starts with Pat and the Arison family, the ownership, and uh, they just, you know, similar to probably San Antonio, is that they they have yeah. a great knack for finding the right types of players, and not only players but also people for their organization that are going to uh, you know follow their lead, and then also when if it doesn't fit, you know, time to go, you know, and they, and they move on quickly and they understand there's only one way for them to do it and have success. Um, but also, uh, you know, they just they have a group of people in a great organization and starts with the communication factor. And I would say that that's Pat, you know, sort of thing. I think we've seen some of it over the years. You know, I think it was my uh, the year after remember, we won the title in 06. You know, we came back with uh, Antoine Walker and James Posey. Some guys that weren't meeting technically heat standards in terms of conditioning and weight and body fat, which was done regularly there. And, you know, they weren't practicing until they were, you know, they met numbers that they, you know, and even though they probably weren't much different than the year before, it wasn't, even though it was preseason, it wasn't like, well, we'll give them a couple months. It was going to be this way. And then they have their way that they believe in. And obviously they've had success with it. And um, it's not the only way. It's just what, something that's worked for them. Yeah, certainly. Well, Coach Cliff is able to lure you away from Sioux Falls. And then you go to the – Yeah, to- I'm, I'm curious about that because you didn't – you said you didn't play for Coach Clifford. Correct. But, played against. Played against yep. him. But how, how did he know of you so – I mean, to such a, an extent that he was comfortable to, to offer you a – 
an assistance job on on the Charlotte staff. I'm guessing some of it. He's obviously still very close with uh, Coach Keith Dixon, who uh, he had worked for and I played for at St. A's. I think they kept in close contact, and then uh, just trying to build that relationship when I would see him when he was coaching in places like Orlando, New York, Houston. Uh, just trying to keep in contact with him, and obviously when he first got the job in Charlotte. He had the guys that he'd worked with closely here in Orlando, you know, Bob Byer, Adam Glessner, and those guys, and Patrick, and uh, I kept Stephen Silas, uh, who's one of the best people. And um, so after that first year in Charlotte, when uh, both Bob and Adam had left to go to Detroit, uh, I think just had a comfort level, and maybe just he might be able to speak on it better than I, I could. Uh, just maybe he felt like there would be a fit, because that's when actually both Steve and I, Steve Hetzel, you know, both left the G League and, and you know, got an opportunity to be in Charlotte with him. When you first started working with him, what, what, did you notice right away? I mean, from what we see on the outside, no one works harder than you guys. And I imagine that all comes from him, and, and you know, you do it on your own as well. But uh, what is it about his work ethic? What, what did you notice right away from the way <laughs> Steve Clifford approached the game? For me, it was a, probably honestly very similar to uh, Keith Dixon, who I played for. And it's just there was no uh, – as a, both an employee who works underneath mm-hmm. him uh, and the coach who I played for, there's no time I go home at the end of the day saying, I wonder if he liked that or if that works or that doesn't work. Or, and for me, and again, I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, it's just what uh, I like and it helps me uh, work at a better rate and work more efficiently is just knowing, I'm not saying, oh, where am I at? What am I doing? Um, and the ultimate communicator, not only is it with the people that work underneath them, but with the players. And I think the transparency uh, and the trust that you build from that you know, sort of thing. And he gives us uh, a ton of freedom uh, as assistant coaches here and I was in Charlotte to uh, work with the players. He's not hovering over us. Um, you know, obviously there's a communication piece about what needs to be done and um, and all that. But just putting the trust in us and giving us that freedom and flexibility, I think has helped us all as coaches uh, who have worked for him just to grow uh, immensely. So you've got to have a story then, and you're going to give us a story where <laughs> you had this great idea right, that you right, took right. to Coach Clifford, and he just looked at you and, and said, no, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Yeah, there's probably been a couple. There's probably been a couple. But I think, too, the one thing about it, and, uh, I know our staff, you know, during the games when the timeout occurs and we go out and we huddle, and uh, it's our job to make the suggestions uh, and have an idea for what may help or may not. And obviously him being the head coach, um, he'll make the final decision, you know, sort of thing. And he honestly probably gives us as a staff too much credit, to be honest with you. Um, you know, he's constantly complimenting us in front of the yeah. players and trying to, you know, give us more and more leeway to work with them and have a voice with them, um, you know, sort of thing. But uh, I, I believe one of you guys had mentioned it. It, it always starts with him. Uh, he's an easy guy to obviously follow as a leader, and I think our players feel that as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I joked around about, you know, leaving Sioux Falls before about whether or not and being a head coach. And now I know, you know, I knew right away when I got to Charlotte um, you know, that it was the right decision. And I think the other guy that has a huge impact on it is in the staff that we he's had around both in Charlotte and obviously here was uh, Patrick Ewing. Patrick was a, as you guys know, salt of the earth as a guy of Hall of Famer, 50 greatest players, arguably, you know, the you know, best center of all time. I was a huge Knicks fan growing up, being from New Jersey. And <clears throat> I've been around, you know, LeBron, Wade, Bosch, all these guys. And Patrick was the guy that when I saw him, I was like, oh my goodness, like this is, <laughs> this is the coolest thing ever. That, and you know, when I got to Charlotte, I literally remember this. I was super nervous and we were going up on the court to do some stuff and we were walking up the stairs together and he was like, hey, why don't you take the post defense today? 
Uh, in my head, I was, I was like, why would I take the post defense? Like, you <laughs> are, Ewing is, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're Patrick Ewing. Like, whatever you say goes, I'll be like, yes, we're doing that. And, and he, he had a great explanation for it. He was like, well, maybe something you guys did in Miami was just unique or different or could help. And he's like, you know, he's like, I have such an open mind about learning from you guys as well. And uh, I thought for me, it totally sets the, it set the tone. Obviously, start with Coach Cliff, but having a guy like that on your staff who was no ego, all about helping Coach Cliff, helping the players, and helping the organization try to win, um, you know, makes it that much easier for guys like myself. Well, the thing that fans that don't that they don't see when the game is over, and this is the same way it was when Stan was here, and and you know, you would go upstairs after the game, and I would see Coach Cliff in his office, and Coach Byer in his office, and everybody's, I mean, got their head. And now it's the same way. I go upstairs and Pat's in his office and Steve's in and there and just what goes on with you guys when the game is over? You know, like what are you specifically are you guys all working on different things or are you looking at the game as a whole? What are you doing after the game to kind of break yeah. that all down? Uh, I think specifically after the game, Coach Cliff has got all of us with specific responsibilities in terms of film watching, charting, you know, and I go on and on. Myself, I'm charting our defense. Hetz is charting all the three-point attempts and layups, both by us and by the opponent. So you think there's games that we look at the box score and there was, you know, somebody took 45 threes. You know, he's going through on how was how was that shot generated? Was it a mistake? Well, both for Endo or for the uh, for them or us? You know, you got Ty who's doing a general overall big picture type of thing of what occurred in the game, where we're at as a team. Mike Batiste is charting all the offensive stuff, paint touches. You got Rick Higgins, who's doing the similar stuff in terms of charting defensive numbers, pick and rolls, and then you got Lionel Chalmers doing similar stuff on the opposite side of the ball. You know, and, and then, you know, so you, that's like what five or six guys right there right. that were breaking down every aspect right after the game. And then we got Coach Bruce Chrysler, who's our shooting coach. Bruce is spending a ton of time, like right after the game, he's watching everybody's shots, clipping them for the guys so he can show them on film, uh, you know, kind of a close up look. So people would say, why would you just not watch your shot and be able to tell he's breaking it down frame by frame, talking about their feet, this and that, good and bad stuff, you know, and all this stuff we give, um, you know, is kind of culminated or after the game, it's all put together. So when Coach Cliff comes in, who's already flying through the, you know, the whole game himself, right. he has a data of information of what was good, what was bad, and can reference it. And we kind of have that database of stuff so that we could do it over one game. We could do it over the last five, last ten. And we can kind of put all that data and information together. And, uh, you know, we talked about Coach Cliff. There, there's not going to be any stone that's not unturned, um, you know, and what we're doing well or not doing well. And our analytics department, you know, plays a huge part in that as well. Now, I'm listening to you talk about all of the all of the personnel. And you came into the league in 2001. And uh, we go back a little farther than that. But uh, there were probably just a handful of coaches in Miami. No analytics department. Uh, the training staff was small. You've seen a lot of changes in the time that you've been in the NBA. What are your thoughts on where it, where it's all gone and how big the staffs are? And just you know, you just described a scenario that I think is probably a real eye opener for a lot of people. Yeah, I think there's a you know, if you look across the league now, there's a different comfort level for different coaches, different organizations. You've talked about the performance teams, you know, obviously getting a lot bigger. Uh, you talked about the coaching staffs getting a lot bigger. Not only just the coaching staffs, but some teams have specifically just player development staffs. That those player development staffs are working with the coaches, uh, with the players, excuse me, you know, before games, practice days, and the coaches are just doing more of the game plan stuff. Um, I think for what Coach Cliff has done is what he's comfortable with, and that's the biggest thing. You know, I don't know what we talked a little bit earlier about with Miami and how they've done things over the years is you got to do what you're comfortable with and what your philosophy is and what you believe in. And I think the biggest thing is it's just it's brought a lot more people around. 
you know, traveling, obviously, I'm sure you guys over the years, definitely when you were playing, yeah, yeah. how many people are traveling now, how many people are, you know, around the players on the daily. And I think the message, uh, you know, that Coach Cliff has kind of sent in terms of incorporating everybody and trying to, you know, allow them to be around. And also when it's just, uh, you know, him and the players and the individual part of it as well, being able to separate when and how, you know, to communicate with the guys is a huge part of it. How do players respond to his honesty and his, uh, his directness? You know, I mean, it, it takes, does it take a certain kind of player to be responsive to, to, uh, to that technique? Because it seems like he gets a lot out of the guys. They respect yeah. him. They respond to him. I don't know if it necessarily takes a, a specific kind of player. I think if the, if the player itself or the player wants to be as good as they can be, they may in the moment not necessarily always enjoy or like, you know, what they're hearing. Um, but I think all in all, myself included, and, you know, I'm sure in your relationships and your family, when you get in arguments with your wife, you you say things, you hear things, you're like, I totally disagree. But I think the reflection part of it, and I think Coach Cliff does it as well as anybody, not only just in talking to us or the players, but also in terms of suggestions we have made. I don't know how many times myself or somebody else on our staff has suggested something and they're like, we're not doing that, that won't work, blah, blah, blah. And two or three days later, he'll be like, you know what, I was thinking about what you had said. And I think that it could be something we could incorporate or we could try to do without changing it too much, you know, sort of thing. So I think that when the players themselves have the reflection and the right thought process about helping themselves and also helping the team, um, you know, they know that's what all Coach Cliff is about. And I think as if you were a player, that's all you could ask for. It's interesting following up on that. It, it, there's the term out there, players coach. And, and I think I'm, I've never really understood that as a former player. I want somebody who's going to help me be the best I can be. But I think the term means somebody who maybe gets it, who's under you know, maybe a former player or something like that. Is is that kind of what is I mean, do you do you hear that or Yeah, I would I totally agree. I think that the two things you probably hear a lot today in this in this day and age of basketball is players coach and also player development. Yeah. You hear the player development piece kind of tossed around, you know, sort of thing. I think from the player coach sort of thing, uh, and again, I, I think Coach Cliff would tell you this, is that each guy, there's different levels of players, all-stars, blah, 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 rotational guys, is that they all have different backgrounds, different experiences themselves. How you communicate with each one is, is not the same, you know, sort of thing. And the, uh, most of the players have a good understanding of that, uh, you know, and you got to pick and choose of when and how. And then I think with the player development piece, Coach Cliff has got one of the best lines I've ever heard. He says a lot of coaches get credit for things that we have nothing to do with. And he's like, if you look at the word player development, the first word is player. He's like, that's where it all starts. So guys that have gotten better and, you know, a coach may have an impact on or part of it, but it always starts with the player sort of thing. And, um, you know, he always talks about Patrick when he was coaching and Jeff was working with him as his guy. Yeah. And he's like, you know, the first time he said a fake middle turn baseline, Patrick did it naturally and it became obviously one of his patented shots. And Jeff wasn't running around going, that, that's me. I talked, I said, that was my move. I showed him how to do the fake middle go baseline, you know, sort of thing. And uh, those are the type of things, uh, along with many other, that Coach Cliff not only instills in our players and stuff, but also our staff. It's interesting because if you look around the league, and, you know, I think we do this every now and you look at the, the, the longest tenured coaches and everything. You look at Pop, 
Carlisle, Spolstra. And I, was, I don't I don't think you look at any of those guys and say, oh, that's, that's a player's coach, right? That's just right. – it's a guy that's demanding, that wants the best and things like that. It's just an interesting term. For sure. Sure. And I think that Coach Cliffs uses this term a little bit with our players start the year is just – Adapting, yeah, you know, sort of thing, and I, I'm sure he has. I know he has from when I started with him. I'm sure even his first year in Charlotte, um, you know, I'm sure you know Coach Pop and all and everybody else has had a long-term, you know, opportunity. Uh, has tried to adapt too as the roster changed, as the league has changed, and more and more people around type of thing. I love when I'm doing an interview with Cliff or asking him a question, and he'll be looking, and then you start going down a path, and he looks right at you. <laughs> And I would just walk it back. I don't know what you're talking about, actually. <laughs> He'll look right at me. Where are you going with this? And I'll walk it right back. I've started to at least learn that. But uh, as far as on the floor, you mentioned the video and the scouting and all that, the breakdown. But on the floor, the, that part of player development, too. Uh, some of the guys that you work with and, and kind of what's that role look like for you guys as well? Yeah, Coach Cliff kind of, you know, as we get guys coming in or, you know, when we first arrived here, he spends a ton of time watching film, learning about the players, meeting with them. And then kind of from there, um, you know, uh, kind of assigns us to those guys. And I think it's a huge part of it. You know, not that we'll never work with anybody else or communicate right. sort of thing, but just in terms of spending, you know, uh, a lot of time with them, both in their player development piece on the court and then also, you know, off the court. Obviously, a guy like Jonathan Isaac, who I'm fortunate to work with, who's hurt right now. When we got back from practice today, myself and Coach Cliff and him met for 15 minutes in his room just – just to keep him engaged, keep his mind in terms of what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, what he's seeing on the floor. And then I usually have like four to five clips of stuff throughout the season. Sometimes he's involved, sometimes his teammates involved in just what he's seeing, you know, type of thing. And I think the that type of relationship with the players too, uh, for us is, is, is really, it's a lot. You know, uh, we talked about the player development coaches around the league. Uh, I love being, I know our staff does, we love being on the court with the guys. That's really when, you know, they kind of, you know, they're not in that mode a little bit, and you got, they might open up about something they like or don't like or what's going well and sort of thing. And that communication piece and building that trust with them, you know, is everything. And, you know, when, when we tip off here tomorrow night, I wouldn't want one of my play, our players looking at us being like, I haven't seen you in two or three days, yeah, you know, right. sort of thing. And it feels like, you, you know, you're kind of with them uh, as much as you can and as much as they want you to be, uh, you know, on those type of days and then obviously the summer opportunities as well. So it's been great. Uh, I'm really fortunate and, uh, you know, hopefully we can keep it rolling. What impresses you about Jonathan? I know we were all dis you know devastated when he had that injury. He's playing so well this year, but you see him on the daily and now that he's back traveling with us again. But what are you most impressed with as a human and then what he's been able to accomplish on the floor? I'd probably say for a young man, you know, 22, if that's, you know, that's what he is, uh, how he approaches the game. Uh, I think even in our short time here, uh, even with the two injuries he had the first year and then obviously this year, uh, it hasn't been anything that's phased him in terms of a setback. In his mind, it's a step forward and he's going to make the most of it. You know, I had an opportunity to see him. I'm sure everybody knows is that he got ordained, you know, as right. a minister a couple of weeks ago. And just to go and see him and see how happy he was and how important that, you know, is to him, I think it's just rare for a young player, you know, or a young person just in general, never mind player. Um, and, and how much he believes in his faith. And um, he wants to be great, and he wants to give himself the best chance, and he's watching film. Uh, you know, some of the guys have said that he's watching film on the plane, you know, sort of things just to kind of st stay engaged and not only uh, helps himself, but obviously it will give him a chance when he gets back healthy. How, how much did that hurt January 1st? I mean, Jeff and I were sitting up broadcasting the game. Right. It, 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 watching him go down like that, 
because we know how what a great right. guy he is, how hard he works. It really hurt. I, I can't even imagine what it was like for you watching him. Yeah, I think just for our, our whole organization, and I think his teammates and everybody, and sure, you know, you guys as well. When you watch it, it was just a such a freak play, you know, and so quick, you know, into the game and you know, sort of thing. And probably, you know, some guys have probably done that same play this year and just rolled their ankle, you know, sort of thing. And uh, obviously, his was uh, different and sort of thing. And just to see him after the game. Uh, George, I'm not sure if you were on that trip or I was. You yeah. know, sort of just to see him walking around the locker room after like. Well, you thought you thought for a moment that like, yeah. okay, he's going to be out like a game, yeah, maybe like two no games. Doubt. Like this is he's perfectly fine. You know, we had a, we had a great win and he's up like high five and yeah. everybody coming in the locker room and you know how you doing? I'm good, man. It's a great yeah. win. You know, we needed that one. You know, I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally fine. You know, sort of thing and it, and it's just it's how he is as a person. You know, he's he's totally uh, bought into the team and obviously. He got some, uh, you know, some bad news, I guess, the next day sort of thing when it was fully checked out. But even since then, and even this approach now is about, well, there's two things I could do. I could, what was me and all this stuff, or I could just try to maximize my time that I'm out and get stronger. I was telling him the other day, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen him, his upper body, you know, even in time, like, you know, he's just trying to maximize the opportunity that he's out and make the most of it. So when he's back on the court, he'll be ready to go. Another guy you work closely with is Aaron. What what's different with Aaron Gordon? I mean, he's he's unbelievable here. These this last the month of February, and I mean, what 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 have you seen as far as what have a, you done, Pat? What have you done? <laughs> what have you what have? What Remember, I said that thing about player development. Not really. It doesn't really come into a play right here. The player is the key yeah, word. This is coach development. Right now. <laughs> this is all on me. That's right. That's right. What can you take credit for and blame for the first half? No, I'm just kidding. Just joking. Just joking. No, AG is one of those guys. Uh, when I when I first got here and got an opportunity to work with him and spend some time with him, is uh, he, first of all he's a great worker. I don't think a lot of people realize about him. Um, you know, he, he's willing to work on a lot of different things, and he takes a, a lot of accountability to his play. You know, sort of thing. And I think he came back after the All Star break, honestly, with kind of a refound focus. You know, and all everybody wanted to talk about the dunk contest and this happened and it didn't happen and. You know, should he have won and all this stuff? We we know he should have won, and I think yeah. he, I think he honestly knows that too. And uh, similar to Jay Ida in a totally different aspect, I think he just said, "It is what it is." Like I get, you know, I can lick my wounds the rest of the year, and or I can try to find a way to help us win. And I think since the All Star break, his level of play consistently on both ends of the floor. And I know Coach Cliff was telling the media leading up into the break is that he'll be the X factor for us when he plays well. We often play well, and I think he really took that to heart and. Uh, you know, he's done a great job here, kind of bouncing back after the break. And even though he wasn't playing well early, especially, you know, shooting the ball, he continued to work and try to stay ready and give himself the best chance. And uh, now he's getting a chance to, you know, put it all full circle for us. No one's ever called me a hard worker. Like, no one ever said, hey, Dante, man, he's a hard worker. So right. I can appreciate that. Right. I think of you as a hard worker, Dante. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. There's Don't one. You, Jeff? There's just one. Uh, well. Just one. I don't want it to go to his head. I just want someone like to say that. that one. The honesty is wearing off in this room. I love it. This is great. <laughs> this is great. Dante's more of a grinder. <laughs> a grinder. <laughs> a grinder. How about this offense lately, Pat? I don't know. Is that you guys, too? Or are you slipping these guys something else? Uh, what, what's gotten into this since the All-Star? break uh it's, yeah. a, it's a number one offensive rated team in the nba right now i think it uh one uh, two things i think coach cliff honestly the messaging from the beginning nothing he's not saying anything different he's not winning add a bunch of new plays or we're gonna do this or it's just the messaging even when we were struggling in the early parts of the year was the same exact thing for us to we have a way to play and when we do that we'll give ourselves a chance and that's what we uh just stayed with and uh the guys the players have responded to it you know the ball movement and then obviously the the shot making piece of it 
you know, guys yeah. are, you know, really stepping up. And I think it just comes through with all the work and repetition that they've put in of just trying to, you know, stay ready, stay ready for those opportunities and different guys as well. You know, look at a guy like Wes Awundu, who, uh, you know, was in the rotation, was out of the rotation. Evan gets hurt and he's, you know, come in and played two really good games for yeah. us. Not necessarily something where you look at the box score and say, oh, he's doing this and he's doing that. But he has a way to play, and he knows how he fits into the way that we need him to play, and it obviously helped us get two really good road wins. How hard is that as a coach to get guys to just play their roles? Like you said, like Wes is playing his role really well, and you're not necessarily looking at the box score. But like, how hard is that for some guy? You know, for that—that's the key to success, really, yeah. right? Is getting I, I guys think, yeah. to know their role. Yeah, I think it's a huge piece of it is the uh, the role piece of it, and I think a lot of that is laid out even before you know with Coach Cliff before the summer starts when. As he dives through film and we get feedback, uh, he gets feedback from the assistants on what we're seeing. And then as we start getting ready for September and training camp, he'll meet with the guys individually in terms of expectations, good and bad from the year before, and in terms of for us to have success, you know, sort of thing. And at the end of the day, he says it to our guys, is that the guys who get paid, the guys that are winning teams, you look at it over the years, not just the all-star caliber players or superstar caliber players, but guys over the course of their careers who have been part of winning and impacting winning that's who front offices and executives are want to know more about and you know also the why and I tied into just having been a head coach for one year in the G League at that level is you got guys that are thinking about going overseas guys who are trying to get call-ups and there's some guys that just love basketball who aren't good enough for a call-up or good enough to go overseas but you want them to for whatever it is that next part of their career it was like the people in the NBA are going to want to know is why are they winning in the G League? Who's doing well and why are they having impacting it? And a lot of those guys, I think the only difference would be the guys that are getting 25, 30 a night, they're already on NBA rosters. They're already getting, uh, you know, those paydays is you got to find a specific niche and role. And there's also those type of niches and roles available in the NBA, that, you know, to have an impact. How, how much do you value the relationship part of it? You mentioned how important that is in the communication piece, but you invest so much time with a guy like Kemba Walker, and, and you're so excited for him. He becomes an all-star. You guys get to witness that. And you're on a different – he's on a different team. You're on a different – that's part of the business. I guess right. you understand that going in. But but I, I, I'm sure there are guys you miss relationships with. I'm sure there's guys you couldn't wait to not work with <laughs> anymore. But that's got – the relationship part of it has got to be. So you still keep in touch with a lot of these guys, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And I think, too, and I'm sure all you guys in your careers and you build relationships as we travel around yeah. is when it's all said and done, nobody's going to remember 90% of the stuff that either happened or, you know. Yeah. A lot of it is is going to be those relationships, the people that you've crossed paths with and had opportunities to work with or for, you know, sort of thing. And also from a player standpoint, and um, you know, one guy specifically I always think of is Marvin Williams. You know, Marvin we had in Charlotte was obviously now in Milwaukee. Uh, he's a guy that, and Coach Cliff will tell you, was always about the team, you know, sort of thing. And whatever the messaging was from Coach Cliff, whether it was good or bad for him. It was, how do I help this team, you know, sort of thing. And he had an impact on, on us having some success there in Charlotte. And, um, you know, I think the relationships, and I'm sure you guys can speak on it as well. Um, you know, as much as, much as anything, I enjoyed it, you know, uh, it's just a big piece of it. All right, lastly, we all are excited for the day that uh, we go interview head coach Pat Delaney of whichever. Is that the goal? Do you, do you eventually, do you do this with the goal of one day I'm being a head sure coach? I'm not sure how or? many high school coaches get interviews, <laughs> but, but you guys come are always on. more than welcome to come and interview me. <laughs> Can we come to your gym? At any <laughs> time, at any time an interview. But, you know, it would honestly, it, it would be, uh, one, it would be a blessing. It would be an awesome opportunity. I understand that there's only 30 of them in the world. Right. And um, the one thing for me is honestly, 
it would be it would be great if I ever got a chance to. But I also, um, if it ended for me tomorrow, I wouldn't look back being like, well, I wasn't a head coach. That was a waste of 18 years. Yeah, sure. I look back, what an experience, what an awesome opportunity, relationships, places that I probably would never have gone to, you know, on my own, you know, sort of thing. So uh, if the timing's right and uh, the opportunity, great. And if not, uh, I'll definitely look at it the same way of like, what a great, great experience for me and my family. Well said. Not that we want to get rid of it. We hope you stick around for a while. No, you, no, you talk to people around the league. and uh, it's you know, George you, that we want here. to interview somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd like to move George out. I haven't taken the hint yet. <laughs> but you do hear, you know, your name comes up as a right. possible head coach. Coach Hetzel, Steve Hetzel, and, of course, Tyrone Corbin has already been a head coach in the NBA and, and of course, led by Steve Clifford. That's a pretty strong staff right there. I think it, well, it speaks well to well, we appreciate it. You know, again, obviously to be here with you guys and this organization um, for us, and obviously Coach Cliff uh, has been so good to me and my family. Took a chance on me. Uh, you know, you had asked the question earlier about like how did he really know? Uh, I, I honestly don't know if he even did, to be honest with you. Um, you know, sort of thing. And um, I'm just glad that I, when I got the opportunity and, and I took it, and um, just enjoying it. Uh, you know, here and uh, you know, hopefully we'll keep this uh, road winning streak going here tomorrow night in Memphis. All right. Well. Don't blow us off when you become a head coach because I get a, I get a picture of five of us sitting on one bed. So. I, I, I don't know how it's going to go when you kick the podcast going so. off. We're live. He'll have a suite back there. Back there. That's right. We'll, we'll just go to him. Meet coach Cliff had a piano in his room the other night. Did he really? In, excuse me, in Minnesota. I said, you're going to be playing this later on? He said, he said, we are in Prince's Town here in Minnesota. I said, play it out. Play it Tell out. me you heard him playing the piano. While he was playing it. when they all walked in for the meeting. He's like, oh, come on in, everybody. I'm just finishing this one last part yeah. here, dude. Just <laughs> Gotta get through these this. bars here. It's all right. No big deal. Oh, that's cool. We appreciate it, Pat. Good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks.